God is good all the time, amen, and all the time, God is good. As usual, we have many challenges that are before all of us as Christians, and it seems like every week it's on challenges, but God would have us to be prepared and to be strengthened for those things that would come before us. And there are many Christians that wind up being defeated in their Christian lives because they are not seriously engaged in the warfare to which we are called. Now, I'm not getting totally into, into a, a discussion on spiritual warfare, but I just need to mention that we're going to touch on it a bit. But many of us are living the lives that we're li- living challenged because we're not seriously engaged in the warfare to which we are called as Christians. Many times we go through the motions of attending church each week, but Christians appear to, be ver- to know very little about the warfare against the challenges and the, strength, the struggles and the anxieties that come into our lives. Many times people come to Christ under a false pitch. Now listen and understand what I'm saying here now. Many times people come to Christ, they come to Jesus under a false sales pitch, if you will. They're told that Jesus will solve your problems. They're told that he will give you peace and joy. They're told that he will give you a happy family life. They say, come to Jesus and enjoy all of these blessings and more. He promises you abundant life. And so they sign up for what they thought, for what they think will be a wonderful life of peace and happiness. Because this is what is sold. Now understand where I'm coming from carefully here because I'm not committing blasphemy here. But all of these claims are true. But they're only part of the picture. Jesus did promise to give us abundant life. Okay, now let's go to John. Go to the book of John. The book of John. Jesus did promise to give us abundant life. John 10. John 10. Okay. Now what I'm saying here is that many times when we come to the Lord, we just think that everything is just going to be peachy keen and that everything is going to go oh so smoothly. And, and, you know, and we're just kind of sold. People make us think that that's all you need to do. And that's it. Well, that's only part of it. Jesus did promise us a lot of great and wonderful things. But we're going to see what's missing in what we're told. John 10, verse 7. John 10, verse 7. Then Jesus Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life. And that they might have life, have it more abundantly. Okay? So Jesus did promise us that we would have abundant life. That is very, very true. The picture of sheep among wolves might not fit your idea of an, of an abundant life. Let's go to Matthew 10. Go back to Matthew 10, where Jesus also said something about us being in a world filled with uh, wolves. Matthew 10. Okay. Matthew 10, verse 16. Okay, and it says in verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 
wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Again, the picture of sheep among wolves might not fit your idea of an abundant life. Jesus promised peace and an abundant life, but in the same breath, he also said that in this world we, we would have tribulation. And go to John 16. Okay? I'm giving you these scriptures, even though you've heard them, so that you can write them down or mark them in your Bibles for future reference. Because most likely you will need them for future reference. John 16. Praise God. John 16, and we're just going to jump right to verse 33. Okay. These things I have spoken unto you that in, in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Please underline that if you don't already have it on the line. In the world you shall have tribulation. You shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So in the world it says you shall. It doesn't say you may or possibly. It says that you shall have tribulation. Okay? So we see here that while, while Jesus promised us an abundant life and promised us peace and everything, he's still telling us that there's going to be challenges in your life. There's going to be tribulation there. He assured us of his love. But he went on to say that we would have hate and persecution. And you can find that in John 15, verses 12 to 13. In Ephesians, Paul tells us about the warfare we wage against the enemy who love to see us fail and to destroy us. It is vital for, for your survival as a Christian that you realize that when you became a Christian, you were drafted into God's army. OK, you were drafted into God's army. There's a whole lot different from just thinking that, gee, was now I'm a Christian. Everything is just going to be smooth, smooth sailing. You, you are daily engaged in a battle. With an unseen spiritual enemy that seeks to destroy you. You may not see this battle going on, but it's going on around you. Mark my words. No, mark my words. Mark what the words of God is saying. If you don't understand this fact, the fact that you're in a spiritual battle, whether you see it or not, when trials or challenges hit, you will wonder why God has permitted this challenge or issue to happen. You won't understand the reality of your situation. You see, again, when we come to the Lord or when people are, are, are prompting us or we're feeling that we need to be saved and everything, you know, we think that and everyone is going to say, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And you kind of think that all of your problems are going to go away. OK, so therefore, because you think that now that I'm a Christian, everything should be working out so smoothly when something does happen in your life, you start thinking that something is wrong and you start possibly even blaming God, you see. Because you haven't seen the whole picture yet. You just automatically, medically believe that because I'm saved, there's not going to be any other, any other issues in your life. Okay? I've seen even pastors that think that because they are serving the Lord, that, that, that God should just bless them by keeping them free from conflict and personal attacks. And then when a personal attack or they're criticized or slandered or when problems hit their families or hit the ministries, they run from the battle. Because even the pastors forget that Jesus said that you will have tribulations. You will have trials. Okay? They don't understand that when God blesses a work. Now listen to this. They don't understand that when God blesses a work, the enemy will increase the attacks against it. When God blesses a work, the enemy will increase his attacks against God, God's work. When a man's ministry is effective, the enemy will work overtime to bring him down, to keep him quiet. It may be through internal problems in the church or through discouragement or through temptation or any host of things. Well, the same thing happens to you when God blesses you. 
and God blesses you, many times, many times, many times, the enemy will increase his attack in your life. All right? When God blesses you, many times, the enemy will increase his attack in your life. Which is reason that you should stop and think sometime, well, gee whiz, you know, what's going on here? What's going on? Okay? And especially that will happen after you've had a particular blessing. The enemy will bring it on. But you can still be victorious. And that's what this message is all about. You can still be victorious. You must be strong in the Lord and put on his full armor so that you may stand firm against the enemy. So you can stand firm against the enemy. Hence, the title of today's message is simply stand. Simply stand. You must put on God's full armor so that you may stand firm against the enemy. Standing firm against the enemy is the result of putting on God's full armor. Let's go to Ephesians 6. We're all familiar with Ephesians 6 where it talks about the the warfare, the weapons of warfare. Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. I'm just going to read part of it here. Chapter uh, 6, Ephesians 6, starting with verse number 10. Praise the living God. You've got to stand. Ephesians 6. Praise God. It's on page 792 in my Bible. <laughs> Praise the living God. Thin pages, these thin pages in these Bible. Okay. And verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Underline the word strong. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to do what? Stand. Underline stand. You may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We know that the word wiles means trickery, tactics, plans and schemes. Okay. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, underline the stand part of that word, withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, underline the word stand again. Verse 14, stand therefore, underline the word stand again, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate uh, of, of righteousness. Okay? And you see there that in those verses, stand is a key word in the scripture. To stand, the word to stand means literally to stand against, means to stand against. It is a military term, military term for meaning to hold on to a position that is under attack. The stand means, from a military perspective, to hold on to a position that is under attack. That's where the phrase comes from, you must stand your ground. You must stand your ground. Okay? If you're in a fight or something like that, you have to stand your ground and let permit, not permit yourself to be pushed back. Not permit yourself to be pushed away. It implies the courage to hold your ground because of your allegiance to King Jesus. So the word there is saying to withstand and to stand because of the fact you're going to be allegiant to hold your allegiance to King Jesus, even when others may be fleeing from the battle because the enemy seems so strong. How many times have you had people encourage you to just give up? 
hundred times have you had people to say to you, well, don't you see so-and-so happen? Don't you see so-and-so? Why don't you just, you know, cash in your chips and just give up? But no, no, no. The word of God says to stand. Stand because of, because of the fact that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And I'm not going to be giving in. However, you must be strong in the Lord. Okay? Okay? All right? And that's what we're going to get into today. How do we go about doing that? You must be strong in the Lord in order to stand. That's number one. The other thing we're going to look at then, if you have to be strong in the Lord, then what is it that I have to do? And we'll get to that in a moment. But you have to be strong in the Lord. Now, if you go to Ephesians 1, so that we know that I'm not just making it up as saying what the Word of God is saying. Ephesians 1, verse 17 Matter of fact, let's start, start at 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of our, our glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, so Paul is praying that God will give you um, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. You need to have wisdom and you need to have revelation because you won't understand what God is saying to you without revelation. And certainly not how to use it without wisdom. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness in his power to us with who believe? Please underline verse 19. And what is the um, exceeding greatness of his power to us with or toward us who believe? And the key there is who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So one of the things you have to do there is to believe. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places for above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that uh, filleth all in all. Okay, fills all in all. So we see there that Paul speaks of God's greatness here. Here, Paul mentioned the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So now you, in, by faith, have to understand the power of this, okay? That you, you must have the, the strength in God and in the Lord, believing that everything that we just read is, is, is 100% true. That's where it starts. Now you go to, um, to 3.16. Uh, Still in Ephesians. Okay, 3.16, Ephesians 3.16, okay, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, so be strengthened with the might by his spirit in the inner man. Please underline that. So to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So where is that inner man? What is that inner man? That inner man is your spirit. So you need to be strengthened, need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit in your inner man. So when you have these things in your life that are coming against you, first of all, you have to remember here, I've got to have some strength in me. I've got to have strength. My, my, my inner man, my spirit must be strengthened in order that I can, that, that I can um, stave off, that I can uh, uh, stand up and stand my ground before what is going on in my life. Verse 17 goes on to say that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. 
And this takes faith. So that means that how am I going to understand the strength of God and how can I be strong in the Lord? It's by faith, because God said that God said that his spirit is going to strengthen my spirit. Now, you don't see that. You don't feel that. You just have to have the faith that Holy Spirit is working in you to strengthen your spirit, to give you some strength about whatever it is that might be going on in your life. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. All right. So one of the ways to be uh, to be able to stand and to be strong in the Lord is to have faith in the fact that your spirit is being strengthened by Holy Spirit. Okay. so how does that work? I mean, you have something going on in your life. You may not feel like you have the wherewithal to, to, to stand up against it. You may feel that I, I don't have the, the power, the sustenance to just not give up. You have to believe through faith that, first of all, Holy Spirit knows what's going on in your life. And that Holy Spirit being God is not going to let you just fall by the wayside. So knowing that, that you have someone out there that's working for you that is there to strengthen you, then through faith, your inner man, your spirit should be strengthened. Now, does that mean that I can see and understand, I can uh, feel and touch and, and understand through my ears and eyes what is going on? No, you, you don't. God may not show you. But you have to have this strength in your inner man that you're going to be strong in the Lord. Okay? This isn't something you can see, touch, smell, or hear. It's something that you just have to know by faith. By faith. This faith thing is what it's all about. I mean, um, you know, why do we hope for the things that we are seeing, the scripture says? Okay, why do we hope for the things that are right before you? What you keep hope for and faith in is for the things that you can't see. Because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what next week is going to bring. Your inner man, your spirit should be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, knowing that God is there, that God is working in you. Okay, and that Holy Spirit is there to to help you out. At the same time, we must take we must take some action to be strong in the Lord. And you can see this in the life of David. Let's go to one Samuel. Okay. Okay, so there's the faith, but then at the same time, though, there's some actions that we we may need to take. Okay, uh, one Samuel, one Samuel, chapter thirty. Okay, one Samuel, chapter thirty. This is about David. Praise the living God. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives and were and were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam and, and uh, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of, of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Please underline that. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake or spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. 
And then underline this. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Okay? But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Okay? So here the people are threatening to stone him. What can be more threatening or upsetting than that? You know, because of his actions here. But yet, what, what did he do? He didn't do anything in himself. It says there that David wasn't, David encouraged himself in the Lord of his God. So right away, David started thinking and praying about and praising God and knowing that God is going to deliver him. And that in that, David found strength. David and his men were sent home from the battle and they arrived to find their city burned with fire and their wives, children and possessions taken captive. At that point, David's men were so angry that they were talking about stoning him. But then, as I said, in verse number six, there you say, you see that David strengthened himself in the Lord. This was a dramatic turnaround. David was David was almost done for. God's promise to him to make him king seemed null and void. Remember, David, David was promised by, the, by God to be made king. And all of a sudden, David you know, probably felt all this was out the window. But it says there that he strengthened himself in the Lord. The Lord graciously directed David to pursue the raiders and recover all of their family. Now, if you read the rest of that, you'll see that David came around and, and, and got the family back. The point I'm making here is that that same strength is available to every single one of us. You may be at your lowest point. You may be discouraged. It may seem that God's promises are not true. But no matter how much it's, it may seem against you, you can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You can strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. You can be strong. You can indeed stand. Okay, now all that sounds good. The question is how? How do you do that? To be strong in the Lord, you must be in the Lord. To be strong in the Lord again, you must be in the Lord. Go to Ephesians 2. Back to Ephesians Ephesians 2. Okay. There's a difference between drawing strength and having faith in the Lord than you being in the Lord. Okay. There's a distinction to be made there. Okay. Chapter 2. There's a difference between being in the Lord, having, okay, or having strength in the Lord. In other words, drawing on Lord for the strength. There's a difference between that and your drawing on God for strength and you being in the Lord. Okay? Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith. There's that underline, underline that, please. By grace you are saved through faith. And not, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Underline gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay? So the first thing you must underline, underline and understand is that it's by God's goodness that you're saved. You can't earn it. There's nothing that you can do. You can't give all the money away in the world. You can't give away your whole bank account. You can't do this. It's not by works. And it says there it's by, by the grace of God. And you know the word grace is something that's undeserved. Like if, you, uh, if you've got a bill to pay, there's a grace period of five days or something like that, maybe. You know, and that isn't anything that you did. The bank simply says, I'm going to give you five days to be, to be late. Just, I, God gave you this grace in, in, in terms of salvation. Through his grace, he gave you salvation. And it says in verse 9, not of works unless any man should boast. In other words, if we were able to save ourselves, if we were able to make it to heaven because of our actions, because of our giving, because of our kind words, because of the things we did for others, then we human beings would be saying, I made it into heaven. I have salvation because of my good works. You'd be giving the glory to yourself. 
not understanding that God is the one that gave you the ability to have eternal life. God is the one that gave you the gift of his Holy Spirit. God, 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 God. Okay, we're talking about here about us being in the Lord. The command to be strong in the Lord makes it clear what it means to be in the Lord. The scripture says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not a result of any works. To be in the Lord means that he has saved you from his judgment by his grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. Salvation is not based on anything else that you have done or deserved. As I said a moment ago, you cannot begin to understand what it means to be strong in the Lord unless you truly are in the Lord through saving through saving faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, you can't be in the Lord unless you really, really understand that it is by your faith in Jesus Christ that you are saved. Okay. again, there's a difference here between understanding that I'm drawing strength, the strength in the Lord and then me being in the Lord. How, how is one in the Lord? Does everything that drives your actions, your responses, the things that happen in the life, in your life, does it go back immediately or shortly thereafter to God? Do you find yourself at a point that when things just seem pointless and you don't understand it, that you just simply are in the Lord in terms of prayer and in terms of trusting in him? And knowing that it is through his grace that I am saved. And if I'm saved, that means that God loves me so much that things are not going to go wrong. Okay, things might not right now seem to be where I want them to be. But knowing deep in your spirit, deep in your heart, because I am in the Lord, that that that, that things are indeed going to turn around, that things are going to work out. That the challenges that are going on in my life, the voices, the people, the people I'm running with or whatever, you know, is just so negative and so contrary to what the word of God says. Okay, that I'm not going to be distracted or turned off about that because I am so in the Lord. You know, when someone says, um, what is so and so into, you know, maybe they're into jazz, maybe they're into art or whatever, you know. Oh, man, he's into jazz. That means this person is so, his life is just engulfed in jazz. Every time you talk, to, oh, man, have you heard Herbie so-and-so? Have you heard that? And all the time there's some jazz group, you know. Or, or where are you going next time? Oh, man, is this jazz club and so-and-so and so-and-so. This person is into jazz, okay. It may be into cars, okay. It may be into antiques. Some people just love to do antique shopping, okay. That's what they're into. Well, if you're into God, that means that all you do is God. That means that especially the important things in your life are into God so that when things are going on in your life, the first thing that you do is that you run to God and you rest with some comfort knowing that God is going to handle it. Then the strength in God comes in because once you're into God that much, you can draw on God's strength to help to bring you through it. Okay, all right, all right. Unless you're truly in the Lord, you you, you know, and, and you can't be strong in the Lord unless you're truly in the Lord through the saving faith of Jesus Christ. And that's where that real faith comes in. The other thing here in being able to stand. Okay, now the first part there was on understanding and knowing God's strength. The other thing about you being able to successfully stand is that guess what? You've got to know your own weakness. You got to know what your weaknesses are. Okay. Because without you realizing what your weaknesses are, it's not going to be really, really possible for you to stand strong in God. Now, knowing what your weaknesses are is a continual, lifelong process that begins from the time that you're, you're, you're born again. 
For the time that you give yourself to God, understanding your weaknesses is a lifelong process. It's an ongoing thing. Okay? And it starts with salvation because before you're saved, many people just think, I have no weaknesses. Okay? I'm impervious. You know, I'm a superhero. I have no faults because I'm so strong in me. When you come to the Lord now, the first thing you have to do is to start identifying what are your weaknesses. We cannot trust completely in Christ to save us until we come to some awareness that we are helplessly, hopelessly lost and unable to save ourselves by our own good works or by anything else that we do. So your first weakness is understanding, first of all, I can't do this without Jesus. That's your first weakness. When you're at the point, though, still that you, um, I can figure this out myself, I can work it out myself, I can do this, I don't need the Lord, then that's a big weakness that you're simply overlooking. So your first step here is understanding your weakness is understand that you, you have to rely on God. And then we must go on to grow to know our own weaknesses so that you can take refuge in God's strength once you realize that. So let's go to John 15. John chapter 15. John 15. John 15, and we're just going to start with um, verse 4. Okay, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. Highlight all of verse 4, or put a bracket around it. Abide in me. Okay, that means live in me. Live in me. Okay, and it says, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, underline in, he that abides in me, and I in him, underline in, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Okay. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Okay. So verse number six, underline all of verse number, uh, number five there, by the way. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Especially that part that without me, you can do nothing. Okay. So a weakness could be that you are still thinking that I can do it all, that I can figure it out, that I can do this. Okay. Whereas you are not abiding, you are not abiding in any, you're not abiding in Jesus. Okay, and that can be really, really detrimental to your spiritual health. Jesus taught this by using the analogy of the branches and abiding in the vine because he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, Um, the, the Lord allowed Peter to go through the terrible denials so that he might not trust in himself, but in Christ alone. Remember, Peter said that no matter what happens, I will never denounce you. I will never. And what happened three times? Jesus said, before the the cock crows, uh, uh, you shall deny me three times. And surely enough, what did he do? People were asking about, oh, I don't know him. And another, oh, wait a minute, that's the guy that was seen around the campfire. Oh, no, I don't know. Matter of fact, say that Peter started cursing. He so vehemently was denying Christ. So you see, he couldn't even, he couldn't trust himself. 
Okay, so you have to be able to abide in Jesus to understand uh, that. Otherwise, that is a weakness that you have that will be terribly detrimental for you. The other thing that is is a hassle in terms of of us not being able to draw and to stand, to draw in God's strength and to stand is pride. Our pride blinds us to our true condition. If you have pride, you'll never admit that you have any weaknesses. You'll never admit it. It's your pride. Okay. And that weakness could be something that you're just simply holding on to. It could be something that God is wanting you to do that you're not doing it because you think that you can do it without doing whatever it is God wants you to do. You think you can you think you think you can do it yourself. So pride will blind you. It makes us think that we have some measure of strength in ourselves. We're drawing on our own capabilities. Pride makes us think that the longer we are Christians, the stronger we just automatically become. But we never become stronger in ourselves. Some people think, well, gee whiz, I've been born again. I accepted the Lord back in 1935 and gee whiz, you know, <laughs> accepted the Lord back in 1935 and now I'm skating eight years old. So, boy, I should really, really, I know it all. OK. And so that's pride. OK. Pride, uh, um, 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 strength and understanding your prideful condition and understanding weaknesses does not just come along automatically with time. Just because you're born again a long period of time does not mean that you understand your weaknesses any better than someone that's been born again for two months or two hours. Okay, but the pride will step in there to make you think that I am so strong. I can overcome whatever's going on in my life beside, you know, without God. In reality, the strong Christian is one who has come to see more and more of his own weaknesses and possibility of sinning. When you understand where your weaknesses are, where you understand that, gee, is this is something that draws me into sin, this is something that draws me away from God, then you really start understanding that that's a weakness, all right? That's when you're really starting to become a strong Christian. That awareness drives that Christian to depend all the more on the Lord's strength. When you realize that you can't do it yourself, then you really start depending on God. I mean, if you don't know something about um, air conditioning and your air conditioner in this hot weather breaks down, Okay, if you don't realize that you can't fix this thing and that you need to call in a professional to get it done, then you're really stupid because you're going to hammer away and put duct tape and everything else on that air conditioning. You're not going to get any cool air. All right. Until you realize that I need someone to come in here that knows what they're doing. All right. right, Up until that time, you're really foolish. But the minute you realize that I can't fix this. You know, there's that commercial on TV where this guy and his wife, I think they're spraying up at a leak looking up at a leak that is spraying out of their ceiling and whatnot, and he says, oh, honey, I can fix this, I can do this. And the wife looks at him like he's crazy, and she kind of snickers and everything. In other words, she said, no, you can't, call a plumber, all right? So the minute we keep on, as long as we keep on thinking that I can fix this thing, or that things that are going on, going on in my life that repeatedly are falling apart, and we're thinking that I can do it, then you are really, really just, just prolonging the weakness that's in your life. The smart one is when, the strong Christian is when they realize that there is a weakness. So to be strong in the Lord, you must know your weakness. The other step in order to stand is, to be strong in the Lord, you must know the Lord's strength. You must know the strength that God has. Satan now is a powerful foe, but he has been defeated. Satan is only a created being, whereas God is the eternal, almighty creator of the universe. If the Lord so willed, he could annihilate and defeat Satan, just tear him up in an instant. He has already defeated him at the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In his perfect timing and plan, he will throw Satan into the lake of fire, where he will be tormented forever and ever, according to Revelations 20.10. 
So from start to finish, the Bible proclaims the mighty power of God. He spoke the heavens into existence. He spoke the earth into existence. He delivered his people from, from Pharaoh's clutches in the wilderness. He fed them. He sustained them in the world, a harshest environment, and so forth, so forth, and he brought them forth. When fierce enemies threatened to annihilate his chosen people, time and again, God protected them. Well, God does the same thing for us. God will protect you through anything that you're, refer- that you're wrestling with. Throughout Scripture, the Lord reminds his people of the obvious. That nothing is too difficult for him. Time and time again, Scripture tells us that God says nothing is too difficult. So why is it, though, that we wind up not being able to stand when things are going badly in our lives? Why is it that we tend to fall back and lose position? Paul has already spoken of God's great power towards us as, as seen in his raising Jesus from the dead and putting him at, the, at his right hand in heaven. Paul also prayed that he would know the power of the Holy Spirit in the inner man so that Christ might dwell in our hearts. Go to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. 18. Okay, and just verse 10, and just highlight that. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe. Okay? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they're safe. Okay? You must know that, that, that God is, 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 a, is a safe place for you. You've got to believe that with all of your being. And being able to stand means that whatever comes into, the, into your life that is not in accordance with your plan, you need to ask yourself a few things. Number one, do I have faith in knowing that with God I can find strength? Do I have faith in knowing that whenever I get surprises in my life, that the first thing that I need to do is to run into God? I need to run into his tower, okay? And a tower is something that is elevated. It's held up high. That means that it is not easily accessible by others. It means that it can't be gotten to. So when things are all of a sudden blow up and don't go the way that you plan, you need to run into God's tower, knowing, first of all, that there's safety there, knowing that I'll be elevated up. Now, if I'm in a tower and I'm elevated up here, that means that people cannot access me. That means that the voices and the things that people would say to me that discourage me uh, 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 you, you know, you know, will not be available to hit me. It also means that when I'm up in that tower, if I am in God, guess what? I can't speak to other people either. Because God is going to tell you what you should say and what you shouldn't say. Sometimes the things that we say with our own mouths during this time of of tribulation, during this time of trial, will get us into trouble. First of all, you go speaking to other people. You don't know what those people are thinking. You don't know what those people feel about you. You don't know about the, 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 uh, whether or not, you know, your well-being is really important to them. Or do they just want to hear something that's going on in your life so they can gossip and just tell a whole lot of other people? So being in God and in that tower not only makes us inaccessible to others, it makes us, us inaccessible to those people that we don't need to be involved with. Okay, the Bible speaks a lot about what the right hand, not letting the right hand know what the left hand is doing. 
So right away, then, the first thing, when things are going wrong in your life, you need to run into God and let God guide you. Let God guide your actions. Let God guide your thoughts. Let God keep you in that tower where people can't get to you and you can't be communicating with other people. Because sometimes you just need some time to let Holy Spirit minister to you so you can think things through. Sometimes you need to just be able to hear God speak to you. And if you're in that tower where there's some quiet, you can actually hear what he's saying to you. You've got to understand again what that weakness is. What is my weakness? Is there something that I'm missing, Lord? In order for me to stand. Okay, Lord, I'm going to plant my feet here. I'm going to hold this position in you. I'm not going to let anything come against me to hold that position. But what is my weakness? Now, if I'm a boxer and I'm out there knowing that as a fighter, as a prize fighter, I'm in the ring here and I'm, I want to stand my position. If I know that I have a glass jaw, for instance, as they call it, okay, and all it takes is a good blow to my jaw on the left side, then I'm going to protect that left side at all costs because I'm going to stand. I know that as long as he's giving me body shots or other head shots, I can stand my ground. But that, that left jaw, that glass jaw is what? It's a weakness. It's a weakness. So what is my weakness? What is my weakness? Okay, now, unless you are really puffed up in pride, you'll know what that weakness is. Because if you're a child of God, God has been telling you. God has been whispering to you that this is what I need you to do. Don't go there. Don't do this. Don't entertain that thought. Don't go there. Don't, don't do this. Okay? But many times, even though we, we, we realize that a weakness is something, believe it or not, that we enjoy holding on to sometimes. Okay? I always talk about my strawberry shortcake, okay? But I enjoy strawberry shortcake. But I know that if I ate nothing but strawberry shortcake, I'd be heavier than what I am, God forbid. Okay, all right. So, so I mean, so that's the weakness. So I, I, I stay away from it, eating it, eating it uh, uh, tremendously. All right. Okay. But it is something that you enjoy. So many times a weakness can be something that you enjoy. All right. All right. Now, it may be appealing to you, but it is not helping your situation. So, God, what weaknesses do I have? I want to stand my ground, Lord. But what is it that just gets me off of my game? Okay, And until you understand that, it's very hard for you to stand your ground because guess what? You may not know what your weakness is or you may not acknowledge what your weakness is, but guess who does? Guess who does? Right? The enemy. The enemy knows what your weakness is. The, weak, the enemy knows what your push button, what your hot buttons are. The enemy knows that if I push this button and say this or say that, okay, that that's going to get him or her off her game. The enemy knows that if I have so-and-so show up at the doorstep right before church time and whatnot, guess what? She won't go to church. He won't go to church. If I get a call, oh, Jesus, I need some help. I need some, I need, I need some help. What do you need help with? Um, um, I got this needlepoint stitch I can't figure out. And here is it's time, 10 minutes before you have to leave for church. But that's your weakness. So what do you do? You drop church and you go over and you help this person with, with needlepoint. Little silly examples. But these are the things that I see happening in the lives of Christians that are around us. You see? And to you, perhaps, as an outside observer, if you're speaking to someone in your family or someone that you know that has this kind of weakness, you may spot it one, two, three. And you may be willing to say that person, do you know what your weakness is? You can't turn down sister so-and-so from asking you to help her a needlepoint instead of going to You may know that. But that other person, they don't see that weakness. You see? So the devil will use that pride to say, first of all, I am so strong, I don't have any weaknesses. And will also use that pride to simply put a shade over your eyes so you can't see it. So if you want to stand, stand strong in God and not lose your ground in God, you need to ask him, okay, Lord, I'm doing what I think I need to do. But is there a weakness? Is there something that I'm holding on to that I need to let go of? Is there something that I'm not doing in my, in, in, in my prayer time? Okay? 
Okay. Is your is your weakness not spending enough time with God in that you think that maybe spending time with God means that every morning I'm going to spend a half hour with God and you do that. But then during the rest of the day, you don't even think about God. The word of God says to pray continually. So is maybe your weakness not praying enough to God. And again, you don't need to be in your prayer closet to pray to God. You can pray to you can pray to God when you're in the shower, when you're washing the dishes. You know, you're working on the car, whatever, whatever it is you're doing, you can pray. And, and these don't have to be lengthy these and thou's in King James language. God understands English besides King James, okay? I mean, you can talk to God the way you would talk to your friend or to a, 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 a neighbor or to someone in your family member, a trusted family member. Amen? So, so am I praying to God continually? Okay? Standing your ground takes a lot, but it starts with you. And again, like when I started off saying here that our, um, many of us come to the Lord and we're almost kind of sold a bill of goods. And we're told, oh, yeah, you come to Jesus and you're going to have this and you're going to have that. Never, ever a problem in the world. You know, that's not so. Jesus said you will have tribulations. OK, but it takes some active activity on our part. We need to step out and we need to do some things ourselves. If you find yourself losing ground and how are you losing ground possibly? It's like when you see things repetitive happening in your life. You see things that are repetitively going on all the time in your life. Every third Thursday, something happens, you know, or every single fourth Saturday at seven o'clock, so-and-so calls me up. Stop taking that call, maybe. Or tell that family member, tell that person, I'm not going to listen to that claptrap. Okay? How do I stand my ground? How do I stand my ground? Okay? Am I really in the Lord? In that the same way I'm into cars or into jazz or into music or into art or whatever, am I into God by saying that because of the fact that, you know, you know, I, I live and I breathe thinking about God? Or is, it, or is he a part-time acquaintance? You can't stand your ground. You, 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 you cannot, a branch that is not attached to the vine or to the main part of the tree, if you see a branch that has been cut off of a tree and laying on the sidewalk, after a while it dries up, it withers away. Because it's not drawing that life-giving sap from the tree. Think of that as yourself, okay? When you feel yourself feeling despondent, when you feel yourself uh, feeling discouraged, and I do this a lot because I am like no one else. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm just, like, I'm just like everyone else, I should say. And probably I'm under attack even more because I am up here preaching and the devil would love to shut me down. But I'm under attack quite a bit. All right. And the first thing that I know sometimes is that while it's no one thing that I can put my finger on, it's just a general feeling of blah. OK, it's just a feeling like, oh, man, you know, I don't something just ain't right. You know, no one thing. And the first thing that we do as human beings, we start going down the checklist. Um, <laughs> did I pay the gas? <laughs> did I pay this? Did I pay the mortgage? You start going down your list of things that possibly you could be thinking about or worrying about. And then you go to that checklist and everything is paid. There's nothing hanging over, hanging out, you know, out there. Everything is okay, but you still feel blah. That's the time when you've disconnected from the vine. Okay? And you don't realize it. You just kind of just, you kind of sever the tie. And this is when for whatever days, hours, or whatever it may have been, Holy Spirit may have been trying to tell you something. You've just been running too much. But that's when you need to go and reconnect yourself with the vine. To get that Holy Spirit sap that's flowing back in again. Because God will show you what it is that's got you feeling, feeling, um, feeling zapped. Okay? Okay? You know? I remember praying some time, and it might not be any one, any one thing. This is why it's so important for you to really be into God. 
I felt those those times from time to time over the year where over the years where it's just that zap kind of feeling. And I finally wake up and say, Oh gee, I better go. Me, I need to spend some time with God. Grab my Bible and go into my prayer closet, the bathroom as I always talk about, and just close the door, you know, and start praying. And I ask God, Lord, what am I missing? What's going on? You know, I heard the Lord tell me many times, I just wanted to spend some time with you. Simple as that. I just want I hear that as clear as a bell. I just wanted to spend some time with you. And when he says that, and I don't know how to describe it, it's like a loved one, someone that you've loved in your family, and you haven't seen them for a while, and you finally see that person, and they say, I just wanted to spend some time with you. The feeling that you feel when you're with that person, when God says that to you, you just feel his love, and you realize that God is real. That he's not just something floating around in the atmosphere, something, some force, you know, Star Wars kind of thing. That God is real. And that God, God, God is a person for want of a better term, for want of a better word, because obviously he's not a human being. But, but, but God is someone that just loves you so much that with all of the billions of people on this planet, he wants time with you. And if you can feel that in your spirit and feel it when you're praying with him and feel it that... Sometimes there's nothing special. He just wants to spend some time with you and for you to sit and talk. A lot of time, the most forceful prayer is you simply talking to God, telling him what's on your mind, telling him about Aunt Tilly, who's just driving you nuts, <laughs> you know, or Sister Sarah, whoever it might be. OK, just driving you nuts. Lord, so and so just drive me crazy. Oh, Lord, I don't understand why I've been doing this and doing this and I don't understand why. And then God will tell you. God will say, sit down, son, let me tell you. Sit, sit down, daughter, let, let, let me tell you. And God will tell you on no uncertain terms what you need to do. He'll tell you what is displeasing him. He'll tell you, he, he'll tell you, you, you why things are happening the way they're happening. He'll tell you what it is that he wants you to do. Now, you've got to be prepared and you've got to be careful for that. Maybe careful is the wrong word. You've got to be prepared for it. Because when you go to have those real personal talks with God, are you really going to be committed to do what you hear? Okay? When God talks to you like that, you may not want to do what you're hearing from God. But God will be real personal with you. He'll tell you. You know that so-and-so and so-and-so and so? Need to stop doing it. You know so-and-so and so-and-so and so? Need to stop hanging with them. You know the so-and-so and so-and-so? You need to stop listening to what they tell you. You know the so-and-so? You know, you know, you know, you know? Okay? It'll be a real personal talk. And sometimes that's all God wants to do. And, and I kind of picture that when, when, when I go before him like that. It's like him, him sitting on a chair and me kind of being at his feet and just listening to, to the master, listening to the sage, listening to the wisest one while he counsels me. The same way in days of old, you know, and I say days of old like I'm 100 years old, but I'm not close to it, but not. <laughs> no, amen. Praise God. God is good. But in the, in the days where, when we grew up, when our aunts, uncles, my dad, when they sat down and started talking, when we were kids, we'd sit around at their feet and just kind of listen as they told their stories and things like that. Because there was wisdom there. That's kind of disappeared these days. Okay. But you listen to God like that. Sit at his feet. Let him talk to you. Let him tell you about the wisdom of the ages. Let him tell you about the most important things in your life. 
And then you got to bind up that pride. Okay, because the pride thing is thinking that I can do this all myself. When you go before God with a heart that is really saying to God, God, I can't do this myself. I throw my hands up. Okay, I want to stand my ground. But, Lord, I don't know what it is that I'm missing. What is that I need to do? I just want to spend some time. That's when God will start really opening up. And you feel the waves of love just fill the room that you're in. And you'll hear the Father's voice and he'll guide you. But you've got to get to the point that you really believe that that's possible. If you still believe that the sum total of your worship experience is you're going to church and by you um, reading the Bible occasionally, if, that, if you believe that that's the sum total of your relationship with God, then all I can say to you is that I can't even put into English words what you're missing. What you're missing to have a real personal relationship with God. Okay? Because that just transcends everything. He'll guide you. Okay? All of us sitting here in this sanctuary today have things going on in our lives that we're praying for, hopes and dreams and so forth. If you're at a point in any of those areas there where you just kind of feel stifled, where you're not knowing what to turn next, you know, go to God. Again, get rid of that pride, get rid of that feeling of self-sufficiency, I can do it myself. Okay? God, if the strawberry shortcake you want me to give up, I'll give up strawberry shortcake. Okay? And many times it might be the things in your life that you like so much. That maybe you're overlooking. Because what do those things mean? Okay? Many times we can have things in our lives that are things, but they're representations of some other thing that's going on. Okay? Okay? My joy for strawberry shortcake, you know, could be me just holding on to the fact that I'm just making this totally up off the top of my head. But every time I eat a strawberry shortcake, I'm thinking about some time in the past where there was some wonderful experience or something like that that I need to just kind of put behind me. But every time you eat that strawberry shortcake, I'm linking myself to that time in the past. Maybe God doesn't want me to do that. I'm just using that as a real silly example. But the things that you really like the most, that you love the most, that you want to hold on to, what do they mean to you? And that representation could be a blockage. All right? So talk to God. Make a commitment that I'm going to stand strong and standing strong. Excuse me. <clears throat> Standing strong in God means that I'm not going to let myself be pushed back from the position that I hold and the position that you hold right now as 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 tenuous as it may seem or unstable as it may seem. The position that you hold right now, which is unchangeable, is the fact that you're a born again child of God. Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit is in you. That is something that cannot be taken away from you and cannot, you cannot be pushed off of that position. But don't let the devil make you weak need. You know, you know, if you're standing with your feet in both worlds, you know, that's another thing. You can't be standing in two spots. You can't be standing in Virginia and Kentucky at the same time. You got to be in one place or the other. Okay, so take your foot off of anything that may have you outside of God and put both feet in God. Because that's what he's looking for and expecting of you. Praise God. I hope with this, that standing will make it a little more easier and clearer for you. And now, before we close, let's prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings. Praise God.